0: You're just a kid. You don't have the faintest idea of what you're talking about. Why, thank you. It's all right. So if I asked you about art, you'd probably give me the skinny on every art book ever written. Michelangelo. I know a lot about him. Life's work, political aspirations, him and the pope, sexual orientation, the whole works, right? I bet you can't tell me what it smells like in the Sistine chapel. You've never actually stood there and looked up at that beautiful ceiling.
1: This is The Law School Show. Discovering the person behind the resume. Bringing you their stories and their tips on how to succeed in your legal career. Catch it all here, right now, on The Law School Show. This is Marco Filiameni, and this is The Law School Show. If you're interested in a career in the Canadian film and television industry, this episode is going to give you a glimpse into what that's really like. So since the last time I did this, I relocated from Toronto to Calgary, and I'm now working with the Shaw Rocket Fund. The Rocket Fund is an investment fund that's specifically set up for children's television and film productions. So today, I'm sitting down with Alan Jolie-Kerr, He's the VP of operations at the Rocket Fund, and he's also my boss. He's been working in the film and television business for, what, 20 years now?
0: 24 years since I graduated from law school in 93. Right,
1: so he has a background as a lawyer. He's worked in private practice. Um, He's worked in-house and in production and in distribution, so I guess it's safe to say you've seen it all. Pretty much. So uh, I imagine... We're going to learn, uh, I guess, quite a bit about his experience, Um, and the idea is just to uh, provide some insight for law students or young professionals who are interested in uh, getting their foot in the door in the film and television industry as a legal professional. So, you have a varied background in the industry. Um, Maybe you can
0: give, like, a high-level overview
1: of of the path that you took.
0: Sure. I... um... Once I graduated from law school, I worked a couple of, not quite a year, at Astral Communications, which at the time owned all of the um, the main pay TV channels and had a distribution company. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was founded by Harold Greenberg, who if people know the industry uh, will know the name. Mm-hmm. Uh, from there, I went off to a law firm called Heenan Blakey. I think I've heard of that one. Yes, well, it imploded a few years ago. <laughs> but, So I I was there for um, probably about three years. And that was in Uh, Montreal? That was Montreal from, uh, yeah, three years, 94 to 97. Um, And then I went to work for a company that went by many names uh, because they just kept buying stuff. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Um, At the end, it was the third largest production company uh, in Canada. and I started there for one of their divisions, ended up being the head of business and legal for the, all of the uh, English language live action productions, um, and interim president of that division for six months. Uh, and then...
1: What was that one called?
0: It was called, at the end it was called the Motion International. TV right. International, sorry. It was because uh, I started at Allegro, which was a company that they, a division, a company they bought that became a division right um, and then that company shut down uh, f- through an acquisition that was uh, not intelligent but <laughs> it, was, it was intelligent for the people selling, not the buyers okay and after that I uh, executive I consulted I did some legal stuff I worked from home, uh, consulted uh, produced. Um, a international co-production. I was a Canadian producer on that. Mm-hmm. And what was that for? Um, sorry, it was called Guy X. It guy was X. A feature film. Okay. Um, and in all of that, I was, I, uh, I hooked up with a guy called Jonathan Finkelstein, who um, we'd crossed paths in the, the previous company, mm-hmm. and he uh, was starting his own company. Had a project that. Uh, Discovery came to uh, ask him to develop and he ended up producing the first season and I just helped him get it going um, um, out of I was kind of bored and I liked him so I just said Wh- whatever you have in your budget I'll do mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's fine and uh, so that was in 2002 ish uh, and I left uh, he and I were together for uh, until Last year, when I came out here to work for the Rocket Fund.
1: And where is here again?
0: Here is Calgary, (laughs) where it is warm and sunny. (laughs) Yeah, especially in November.
1: Yes. Mm -hmm. So, now you're in Calgary, um, and you're you're working with the Rocket Fund, so maybe you can speak to your role now
0: in the Rocket Fund. Um, Sure. So, for those who don't know, the Rocket Fund is uh, one of the funding components of uh, the the Canadian uh, TV industry, where we invest, uh, we're uh, dedicated to investing in kids and family television. Mm-hmm. Well, media now, but with the uh, the change of, of rules. Uh, my role here is, uh, as VP of operations, has, um, it's a fluid role, because it was something that was created and did exist before I, I came out here. Uh, sort of to make things happen, to oversee the, the contracting, because as a investment fund, we obviously have contracts to, um, to cover our investments, uh, to oversee the analysis of the investment proposals, um, and, I mean, every other little aspect of uh, running any kind of operation, uh, any kind of business, actually, because uh, that, that's where, you know, law can lead you. Mm-hmm. To do something that has nothing to do with law.
1: Right. So it's not necessarily a legal role, but your legal training, your background, you yes, know, the legal serves you yes. well in what you've been doing, right? Even right. though it is an investment fund, there's a lot of, like you said, financial analysis, production finance. But again, you're also reviewing and
0: drafting contracts to an extent. Correct. And I mean, the main thing when you get into this. Business is that it is a business, mm-hmm. and that the legal part is uh, very important because we're dealing with IP, right, uh, money, rights, uh, and very few people actually understand how all those things fit together. Mm-hmm. So that's where the legal uh, background helps quite a bit. Is that you you get to see all the aspects, right? Um, yeah, and I just parlayed that into less of a legal role and more of a of a producer slash uh, executive role.
1: Okay, so I mean, it took me a while to understand or to grasp what a producer is and what they do. I think I have a better handle on it now, but I imagine a lot of people don't. So maybe you can elaborate on what a producer is when it comes to on-screen content, so film and television, as best <laughs> as you can, well, I guess.
0: I would, it's actually impossible to answer that question because what a producer is mm-hmm. depends on the um, the qualities of the person doing it. The, okay uh, Really the producer is the person who makes sure everybody and everything gets done so that there is a project at the end. Um, and they're all kind of, I mean there are creative producers who right. don't understand uh, the first thing about budgets. Right. And how deals get put together. Mm-hmm. There are purely financial producers who, uh, they're generally called executive producers, who right. just do the deal and don't care. Uh, well, they might care about it, but don't get involved in the creative. Okay. Uh, or the day to day mechanics of uh, production, because there's a lot of physical stuff and just, physical is not the right word. There's a lot of. Um, details going into a shoot day that impact everything. Uh, and I had the joy. <laughs> not quite the right word, but anyway. I, I ended up being uh, doing quite a bit of line producing, so that's more of the uh, the technical side of everything, making sure everybody's where they're supposed to be, and uh, you know, dealing with the budgets, and right. not so much on the creative side. So just making sure the trains run on time, kind of? Correct. Because, I mean, when you're uh, doing a production, especially, you know, the bigger dramas and stuff, when you show up on set, um, you need everything then and there, because money goes out the door very quickly if uh, people are just sitting around. Mm -hmm. So, you know, make sure that the person brought the right hairbrush for the scene. (laughs) It's as silly as as that. So it's all kinds of different people, but the, the role of the producer is to make sure everybody does their job. Right. Um, to foresee where there might be problems, to solve problems. Mm-hmm. Um, I was used to say when I was at Motion, or whenever uh, Allegro, the the large company, is that uh, you know my job was to hire the right people and make sure everything went well. Right. And I always said I was very bad at my job because I was always troubleshooting. Right. But it's just it's the, the nature. nature of production. Mm hmm. Is uh,
1: like sometimes the way I think of it and then you mentioned this in uh, previous conversations we've had, is for each production, uh, it's kind of like starting, it's kind of like a startup company Absolutely. each yeah. time. So would the producer be akin to
0: the CEO or the COO? Um, yes and no. I mean, you can have a creative producer and a business producer on the same project.
1: Right, okay.
0: So, you know, it's... Uh And production companies build themselves around the talents of the people they have. Mm -hmm. So if I take uh, Apartment 11 uh, as an example, uh, Jonathan was always a creative producer. Okay. He started out, he did Street Sense, uh, he did a show called Popular Mechanics for Kids. Right, right. Um, He did, he produced news for the CBC when he was like 22. So uh, in Happy Valley, if people know where that is. Um, and when I, when he came to me, he had no idea, uh, what the business side of it was. Okay. And I just put the, his first deal together for him and he went off and produced his series. Uh, it was 26 half hours. It took a year and a half of his life. Um, cause he did everything. He's a bit crazy, but, <laughs> uh, most people in this industry are. Right. Um. You have to be. Yes. Because it's not. Regular business, right? And it's always like it's always a startup here. There's always, even if it's the second season, the third season, the fourth season of a show, there's always something different. So mm-hmm. you have to rebuild your team. You have to rebuild uh, everything. Uh, some of the stuff can be reused, obviously, but uh, you still have to adapt it. So that being said, Jonathan um, came back to me after he took uh, he went hiking in the Himalayas, not the Himalayas, the the Andes, I think. Mm -hmm. Uh, He came back and said, oh, I want to do more of this, but I've got nothing going. And it was actually at the end of my film. Not Guy X, but another film I helped uh, executive produce. Uh, So I just, he offered me an office, and I just ended up taking care of all the business stuff. And he just dealt with the creative and the the blue sky stuff. Gotcha. So that's how we ended up Building and then we lost our head of production. She went and took uh, another job. We had, we were kind of between shows, so we didn't right replace her right away, and I ended
1: up taking over. Okay, so I guess another way to look at it then is um, the producers. Like there, I guess there has to be all those elements of mm-hmm. like the uh, the business and finance, the legal acumen, as well as the creative uh, insight. As long as there's at least one person who's doing all those things, or it could be a number of people. Yeah, it's certainly a number
0: of people. I don't know anybody yeah. who's uh, good at both. Right. Uh, crazy creative people uh, need the business people. Right. Uh, and the business people need the crazy creative people. Yeah. Because um, I could easily put together a wonderful deal, uh, have all the money there, uh, have a bunch of scripts, mm-hmm. and. Most likely, nobody will ever want to watch it.
1: <laughs> Good point. So what led you to uh, executive produce and, and to work in production? Um, or what drew you to it, I guess? is
0: Well, the producing part of is the, the decision-making stuff. Okay. Whereas, uh, and I always say here's the difference, people who go to law school, there are people who are lawyers. Right. People who go to law school and get a law degree. Lawyers are... Um, are, uh, advisors. Right. And you should know, I'm, I'm like seventh generation lawyer, like mm-hmm. father of the son. So, you know, when I rag on the, in, the um, profession. the profession, it's with lots of history.
1: Fair enough. Uh, and there's nothing wrong
0: with being a, a, an advisor. Right. Um, it's needed. Um. And then there are the other ones who take their degree and they want to be more uh, decision makers, and that happens. I mean, in law firms, you have it. Mm-hmm. The, the, uh, the people who run the law firms—they're not doing law anymore; they're running a business, right? And they're they're deciding things. Um, and that's—I mean, when I was at at the law firm, mm-hmm. I never wanted to go to a production company because I thought it was crazy what they did, right? Um, <clears throat> And then uh, I, somebody phoned me and offered me a job, and I said, okay, fine, uh, let's try that. And I found that I, I liked it a lot better. Uh, right. Because I had more control over what I was doing.
1: Okay, and uh, to again, to allude to a conversation that we had, I don't know, maybe a few weeks ago, or maybe a couple months ago, um, I guess uh, a lot of students, uh, even young professionals, kind of have like this path, that's carved out in their head, um, but they didn't come up with the idea. It's just kind of assumptions that they've made about how a career should go, um, and I'm, to you know, guilty of this thinking as well, where the ideal thing is to start in private practice and like you know really develop your lawyering skills there. Uh, then after a few years, um, if you if you want to transition to go in house and use what you've learned there and translate it into something there. Um, and I guess my assumption was that the learning that, and the training that you'd get from private practice was, for whatever reason, uh, superior to in-house, which, as you've demonstrated and like you're, you explained to me, that that's not necessarily the case. So what was your experience no, well, or your take on that?
0: Well, here's the thing. When you're... And and I was completely guilty of this when I was at and Blakey. I was, um, I thought I was, and actually I was, because everybody was telling me also. I was like the hotshot lawyer, Mm -hmm. young entertainment lawyer in Montreal. Um, And I thought I was really, really smart. Mm -hmm. And then I went to a production company and I realized I knew squat. Right. Because, I mean, and, and it's two different roles like the, the, um, the advisory lawyer firm thing or, or however you want to uh, describe that is you're giving advice to somebody on a certain level of this is what you should do, these are the, the, the parameters. And, right. um, and in the perfect world, that might be what it is. Mm-hmm. But when you're actually in production, right. there's a lot of stuff that, A, you don't, control even when you are the producer shit happens yeah and and I like to say that I mean shit happens but stuff takes work so that's one little saying I have Um, there's a lot of stuff that in the legal world you would never do because it's just uh, you want to make things right and perfect and this is how it should be Uh, in the actual making of uh, content Mm-hmm. Um, and I've told you this before. You know, I realized my job wasn't to make it smell good, just less bad. Right. Like you have to keep things you, moving. You have to keep things moving. You, you have deadlines. You have, if you take a feature film, um, you have an actor or an actress who's only you. you only have her for a six week period. Right. Um, you got to, and you know when that end date is, so you know when you got to start, and you can't. Um, you can't be lowering a contract to death right. for every little thing in it because it's never going to close. You're not going to have your actress or your funding or whatever it is, and you uh, and then you've just lost the entire thing. So you have to keep perspective on you know what the end goal is, uh, especially when you're in in house or you're the producer. Mm-hmm. When you're advising from a law uh, firm perspective, you also have to have that perspective. Uh, but, you know, you don't have control either. So you have to give the, you know, it, it's a lot of liaising with the, the people you're dealing with. Right. And letting them make the decisions, which, you know, is what it's supposed to be uh, in, um, in a client lawyer uh, thing. But in a case outside of entertainment, mm-hmm. the lawyer generally knows more about it than the person. Right, so take family law, you know, all of the you know right. the different uh, things that could happen after. In the entertainment world, that's not necessarily the case. Like legally, yes, you have the thing, but the person may, the producer may want to go somewhere with his project that he hasn't told you, and you're right. Um, and so it's it's more of a, a amorphous thing. Yeah. Um, so which is you know the the first. Warning, or the second or the third, (laughs) of getting into entertainment is that things are constantly shifting, Um, and you know, again, like we said earlier, the second season is doesn't mean it's the same thing, and you you can't get in the trap of thinking that it is. Okay, that's a good point. Go and, and think. Okay, how? Why are we doing this again? What? Like, and sometimes you know you you do it again in a way that's not great, but that's just how it is.
1: Yeah. I'm learning that
0: (laughs) now. If the goal is to give people an idea of what this industry is, yeah, you know, it's, it's that you are constantly battling people who, um, who want to push the limits of everything. Okay. Um, who, uh, kind of have an understanding of what's going on but don't. Right. The old, you know, a little knowledge is a dangerous thing. Uh, One of the things that um, that stopped me from going back to private practice after uh, getting into a a production company Mm -hmm. and when it closed is I was tired of having people come to me for advice. I tell them do it this way. As you'll see, your clients don't always want to pay you up front, um, so they give you a little bit of money, and then they go off. They want to take care of everything, right? And then they come back to you a couple of months later, and it's all wrong, right? And it's a disaster. And it's a disaster, and it needs to be fixed by Monday. <laughs> so that's, I mean, that's the main reason I stopped. Uh, yeah, I couldn't go back to, to advising people because it—it's it, just not my yeah. DNA to. To do it I just basically fired everybody who ever did that to me you quickly run out of clients that way
1: <laughs> we were on pause you probably didn't notice that if you're listening um, but I was just telling Alan how much of a pain it is to edit this to, to edit the audio and I said he would have no idea and then he just gave me a look which was pretty yes. hilarious because <laughs> I'm the one who has no idea anyways
0: no you have an idea I just uh, but yeah it takes time. And and it sure does. Um, actually, I made a film with friends when I was in. I was in grade school. Okay. We did this whole film and back in the actual film days on Super Eight,
1: oh. splicing
0: it together, uh, and all of that. I'm just curious, what was the film? It was a superhero film. I don't even remember the script. Uh, I had a cape. I remember that, <laughs> uh, and I was coming up. We'd always wanted to explore uh, a tunnel in Quebec City where I grew up. Uh-huh. Um, so there's this train tunnel that goes under um, uh, the old city mm-hmm. That is that we always thought was, di- uh, was never used, but it wasn't closed off. So it was always this scary thing. It's like, is there going to be a train? Is there not going to okay. be a train? Anyway, so the whole sort of a thing about that.
1: So, is that, uh, that sense of wonder, did that
0: maybe lead you into this industry? Um, no. No. It didn't lead me into the industry, but it's led me to where I am now.
1: Okay, what do you mean so, by that?
0: Well, I'm, uh, I'm not creative <laughs> at all. Like, I'm, I'm better, but I, not. but I had a lot of friends, um, were of the creative type musicians, sure. people who wrote, um, people love to draw. Mm-hmm. And like many people when I'm in high school, I like had no idea what I wanted to do. Yeah. And as I said before, I'm seventh generation. Yeah. I said I might as well go in the family business. I don't know what I want to do. And once I got to law school, I started taking all the IP classes because all my friends were yeah. Doing stuff like that, and I said, "Great, I'll be the um, defender of the poor artists and mm-hmm, all mm-hmm. that." And as I keep saying, my uh, I was married, and my wife uh, got pregnant in the beginning of my second year. Yeah, not well, the end of my first year. Um, so uh, yeah, I had a kid on the way. My daughter was born in uh, October of my second year, and I quickly decided I wasn't going to be the defender of the poor artists because <laughs> my clients are poor. I'm poor, right? Um, so that's sort of what led me to the working on on the producer side, okay? Uh, um, you know the, the the money side, and how I got to where I am was never. And you were saying earlier, you know, people have this career path in mind, and I did uh, when I started. I'm going to said I was going to be a great entertainment lawyer, right? In a law firm. Uh, granted, this was a different era. There was a lot more money around, They had tax shelters and right. um, it was a bit easier. And i that's all I wanted to do and the opportunity to work for a production company came up. Yeah. Uh, I said, sure, why not? I haven't done that yet. <laughs> but, you know, to me it was another step to being a very good uh, lawyer in the law firm. Interesting. but know I, I just never came back because once you're in the company well, I was in a large company which helps yeah the, the opportunity was there to move forward um, there were uh, voids that were there that I just filled you know, right all on my own like I just decided to right uh, and we went quite a ways down the road of doing something but then they just decided there was no money in production hmm which I agree with by the way uh, large production companies um, should not be large production companies. They should be distribution companies and IP things. Uh, producing is something that needs to be done on a um, a smaller scale or a more focused scale than what a public company can do. Okay, interesting. So you interesting. Can have divisions that would do it. Uh-huh. you're Hungry, but um, once you you become big and all you're doing is making television shows or movies. Right. Um the amount of money needed to sustain it to sustain it and to make sure everybody gets what they want out of it uh-huh. uh uh just it's not workable okay there's just not enough money uh to do that
1: so maybe you can elaborate a bit more on the role i think like we've covered what a producer does and what a production company does mm-hmm. in essence it makes the shows it pulls all the elements together to to have the production um Correct. on the distribution side maybe you can elaborate uh what a distributor does and what the role is in the in the bigger scheme of, of well, things well i
0: mean that's um that's the money right right the they're the, they're the
1: middle people right they're the buyers they're the, well, the
0: buyers and the sellers so and the sellers. i mean the uh so the process obviously of making uh any piece of content uh to say a movie for for this sake is you gotta have the idea you write the script you get all the the uh the talent together you do the production uh and i had an uh, an ip uh actually a copyright lawyer who had a great analogy it's like uh taking a string and putting a knot in the middle so a string is made up obviously of a ton of other strings threads and, yeah. threads. and those are So on one side, you have all the rights coming in Mm -hmm. to the knot, which is the actual production. Right. And on the other side, you have all the threads going out, and that's the distribution, all the different rights that go to that. Right. So to make it, you've got to acquire the rights from the writers and the poster on the wall. Uh, These are all things that uh, that people, when they first get into this, they don't think about Mm -hmm. uh, producers in general. Uh, And you have to... there's a whole industry of people that do clearance
1: hmm.
0: lawyers yeah can, can do that um so get all of that in there and then you have to exploit those rights so that the people can make money yeah because everybody wants to get paid it's just how it is okay uh so you take the different rights the the theatrical rights the uh, Netflix rights the TV rights the merchandising rights right um and that's what the distributor does. He goes out and finds, or she, or it, goes out and finds the people who are willing to pay for those. Right. Um, for whatever amount of money that yeah. they, they want.
1: And that can, uh, I mean, that goes beyond borders. Like, having international sales correct. is, like, an important way to make money. Because uh, there's to a market back. for it, for sure. There's, yeah. Uh,
0: and not everything has, has, hits all the markets. Right. right? So, again, that's a and this is more of a producer role, of figuring out um, the budget and um, what you can afford, what you can do Mm -hmm. with things. Uh, Has absolutely nothing to do with law. Yeah. Uh, But it's the business part. I mean, I I had a um, a colleague who was the head of uh, production for Alliance uh, at the time. Mm -hmm. Well, actually, he was my head of production, but before he was the head of uh, Alliance. And he used to joke, somebody would put a script on his desk and he'd say, well, how much does it cost to to make this? And he would pick it up, sniff it a little bit. (laughs) Who's this for? Oh, them? Three and a half million. Because that's all you could raise to make that movie. Right. From the different uh, bits of financing. Uh, Other ways of doing it is taking a script and breaking it down, saying, what do you really want? Mm -hmm. And it can be, you could easily spend hundreds of millions of dollars on the simplest of ideas. Right. Then it's all a question of scaling it back and figuring out Mm -hmm. what you can afford, how much you can afford up front. That's the cash flow issue. And those are all things that you acquire with experience. Right. So my number one thing, coming back to the original question of, you know, uh, the path and what do you want to do. is there is no, in this industry, there is no clear-cut path to any job. What one person did will not necessarily work for somebody else. Mm -hmm. My path, I don't think, can be recreated because the industry isn't the same as it was when I started. And it's a personality thing. Okay. If you are a bit of a risk taker um, and have that sense of wonder... Okay, you will try all kinds of different things if you are um more rigid in your thinking mm-hmm. you probably are more better suited to be either in a law firm or in a uh with a, a company in a specific role in that company okay like a distribution company or, right. or things um and then, I mean, we haven't even touched on, like, there's a whole industrial relations uh, aspect of this business. That'll be in part two and yes. three. <laughs> I mean, the the uh, studios in uh, in Los Angeles have entire departments that all they do is deal with uh, guild agreements and contract okay. negotiations of actors and, and directors. And
1: So, I don't know if it's particular to this industry or if it applies to all industry, but you kind of got to go with the wind. Uh, in a sense? Yes. Like, no, no.
0: No, no, I, you have to be um, nimble. Mm. Uh, more so now than when I started, obviously. Right. Um, but this industry in particular, uh, things, things change all the time. Right. Uh, the, what people thought were well, actually a perfect example is uh, so the rocket fund invested in a series of um feature length motion pictures mm-hmm. this the deal was put together two or three years before I got here yeah and it's just coming to fruition now we we've done a few of the movies and the original plan uh finance plan and recoupment plan was uh made sense yeah um they were going to make a lot of money on dvds <laughs> <coughs> and four years ago that would not have elicited a laugh from marco Mm
1: because it was
0: an actual business we still all went down to uh well maybe not you guys in your generation uh sorry i'm old (laughs) uh you know you still had video stores
1: yeah Uh, it was still a moneymaker you you
0: you rented uh, videos i mean netflix to to be honest i don't know if you guys know how it started but it yeah. was a, a mail-in video store. Yep. They would send it to you and then they just switched it around. But so everything's changed. Uh, so you have to be nimble in this industry. Other industries don't change so fast.
1: Okay, um, yeah.
0: There, I think <clears throat> some might for sure, but uh, others not. The oil and gas industry has been pretty much the same forever. Mm-hmm. I say that because we're in Calgary, right? Uh, but now with oil being a lot cheaper, they're even thinking have to rethink how they do things, because it's, it's different. But the basic of you know drilling for oil, for oil, finding it, pumping it out, right? Is the engineering hasn't changed. The business aspect is how much can they sell it for? Mm-hmm. So how much am I going to uh, to spend to find it? Whereas in this the Media industry, people have crazy ideas, uh, want to make them and get them out there. Uh, you can create uh, something out of nothing. This podcast is a perfect example. Mm-hmm. It's just a guy in his computer who just had an idea.: You're giving
1: away the secret, Alan. Come that's on.
0: The, the, <laughs> the secret is hard work.: That's true. Everybody has ideas. Yeah, I mean that's the first thing if you've taken a, an IP class, a copyright class. The it's ideas, not worth anything until it's... Ideas are worthless. Right. The expression of the idea is what is. And there's only one way to express stuff. Work. I mean, the, and that's that's a life lesson. And it's not just the, the TV industry, right? It's the same with the music industry. If you look at that, that went through a ridiculous upheaval. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's now healthy again. Different people are making money, right? Uh, But it's 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 become an industry again. Whereas there was a a period where it It was was. in
1: transition, it was in flux, and it seems like it's settling into a a more stable business model.
0: Yes, mainly because
1: of streaming. Like that seems to be streaming iTunes.
0: Yeah, uh, Steve Jobs saved the music uh, industry. Mm -hmm. By creating this little stupid contraption called an iPod. Yeah. Um, And and it's a little bit like that in... It's coming like that in this industry, the audiovisual one, where people can do stuff relatively cheaply on their own. Right. And get it out there. Um, The the avenues of getting it out there are are, uh, uh, more democratic. They're easier... Because you can put something on the internet and nobody's going to stop you. All you have to do is, you know, find it, you can put it on YouTube, it costs you nothing.
1: Yeah, but then the challenge of course is I if mentioned. everyone can do it and the barriers to entry are really low, how do you get noticed with all the clutter?
0: Well, that is, and it's always been the issue in, in the, for the creative side is what's the best uh, idea and how, who does the best, um, who executes it best okay. and then who gets it found. Right. So this, up until recently who got it found was the distributors. Uh-huh. Was, I mean, you're of the uh cord-cutting generation. You don't have a cable box at home. Uh so you know, you surf, you 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 stream, you find what you want to watch. Um when I grew up there were um 10 channels in Montreal. <laughs> Uh, So, you know, the choice is pretty quick to find Uh And, and that's where you're. It's, it is going to be more difficult. Uh, the the upfront money is harder to find. Right. Which affects everybody. It affects all of the service people, uh, all of the professionals. Um, everybody's going to have to take a bit of a flyer on uh, on things. Right. And when it works, great
1: cool well I think we're gonna uh, and, and like I guess kind of take it back to you because we were talking about the industry generally uh, and going back to what you said about no path can be duplicated because it's particular to that person and and their personality type. So I'd be interested um, in you highlighting what was maybe the most challenging, phase or part of your career, and what
0: was the most rewarding? Yeah. It was always tough questions, because the, um, I mean, I've had challenging deals. Yeah. Uh, challenging periods. I mean, before I came out here, I was, um, questioning what I wanted to do. Because after a while, doing, of always being in startup mode, which this is, you know, like it was great yeah. on me, and I wanted, I just wanted to, do something different um, and that may have nothing to do with law and, and work it's just might be me because yeah I like new things I'm always trying new things so okay that, that could be that um, truly the um, uh, the most trying and I literally almost punched somebody out <laughs> was when we were in the, the when at motion and the company was uh, deciding to shut down we were selling one project to somebody else. Uh-huh. And we owed um I believe it was a writer a uh, a large amount of money. And my uh and we had cash flow issues and all that stuff so I get it. Yeah. But then my uh CFO said yes we're going to pay it. Mhm. Uh so great I get on because I've been uh, the agent was all over me and like yeah. we did all the money. And, yeah, yeah. Um and uh So I phoned the agent and said, okay, so we're going to go with the transfer and all of that. And I found out the next day that uh, from somebody else in the company, the CFO just told me that so that I'd stop bugging him. And he told everybody to stop the payment. Oh, wow. Yeah. And that was, uh, uh, yeah, I went to a Christmas party and I had to be restrained. Wow. Because. uh, Real life drama. Yeah. Our reputations are all we have. That is true. Right. So, I mean, if I tell somebody, this is what's going to happen because somebody else told me that and it doesn't, uh, I'm the one. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, he was just a CFO in a large company and he was never going to work in this, directly in this business ever. Right. So, So the stakes were Yes, So, yes, I was very unhappy with that. I also got into a fight. (laughs) You get into a lot of, or no, fights are not the right word, but... uh, Heated, heated
1: discussions. Yes.
0: So in, in, in uh, the co-production I did, my co-producer um, at one point, I mean, she just wanted it done, and she didn't care about the, all of the ramifications. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, you can't, because if it doesn't qualify as Canadian, I lose all my money and my house is on the line. So uh, there was a bit of.
1: To qualify, when you say... Qualifies so to qualify Canadian content. For the tax credits.
0: Yes. Yes, okay. And not just tax credits, for the distributor. Okay. And uh, 100% of the Canadian money was based on it being a Canadian film. And Those are high stakes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Where to the wise, do not have a Scandinavian uh, musician or composer write the music for a comedy in the middle of winter in Scandinavia. It comes out pretty dark. (laughs) (laughs) It was really bad music. And I understood, we had to change it. Okay. We had to do, uh, I had to force her to go with a, uh, a Canadian uh, Mm -hmm. composer. She just wanted her brother to do it out of the UK. Okay. So that was, um, and then the best moments are really, um, part of the reason I got, um, into more of the content side mm-hmm. is that when I was at Allegro, we were doing I mean, they were it was sausage type movies, damsel in distress. They were not very good scripts, not great movies, but there the was a movies. market for them, yeah. yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, but it got to the point that I like I would I didn't even want to work on them anymore because I'm like, why am I putting this out here, right? Uh, and then I started doing kids stuff, and I mean, that is. For me, it was great. One day, I was driving my daughter uh, to um, practice or something. Her, her, kid, her friends uh, from grade five were in the, in the car, uh, French school. And we had done a, uh, I was producing a uh, um, cooking competition show for CBC in mm-hmm. English. And when all the, the three other kids in the car found out that I was the producer of the show, I was like a hero to them. <laughs> it was literally screaming in the car. They were so happy. So they got to go set and see what was going on.
1: Yeah, we'll we'll circle back to um to the Rocket Fund. Aside from uh contributing to the funding of the actual pro like the actual productions, whether they be uh feature films, television shows, or digital media, what other initiatives is the Shah Rocket Fund specifically involved well,
0: in? Yeah. Not all funds have initiatives outside of their funding. Right. Uh, one of the aspects of uh, Rocket Fund and Bell uh, Fund to a certain extent is uh, helping the industry, promoting uh, the industry and and helping um, uh, develop it. Right. So we've, uh, for promoting the industry uh, 10 years ago, or almost 12, um, the Rocket Fund created uh, a prize for the best kids uh, show, mm-hmm. and so the the shows would be the finalists would be picked by an international jury, mm-hmm. but kids would vote on who won. Right. So that then that's the Rocket Prize, um, and that's been going on for ten years. We're doing the eleventh version uh, right now. It, it's changed around. Yeah. Um, so that's a promotion of you know, the great content we do in, in Canada. Right. And recently um, we started a, um, a thing called Star Tune, which is basically a Canadian idol for an animated character. So we will help animators um, basically to find the next great animated character. So right. It's an online initiative where creators upload their character, mm-hmm. short videos, and then we have them do um, challenges. Like you wouldn't Canadian, you have to sing a song. Well, here, right, you have to animate your character doing something, right, and it's rounds and it goes down. And we uh, we just dominated the, the winner about a month ago mm-hmm. for the first round of this. Um, so that's one of the initiatives we did. And
1: We're, what do they? What what's the prize in Star Tune?
0: Oh, the, yeah, I guess that's you know <laughs> the competition, and uh, we are helping them uh, do a mini pilot or a development package so they can uh, sell their uh, their idea to a network and make uh, a series, hopefully.
1: Yeah, and that's awesome.
0: Yeah. One thing, the Rocket Fund is, because of uh, the people who run it, uh, the chair who's um, a woman who started out Magazine and L T V, TV, mm-hmm. uh, a real force of nature, <clears throat> the president of the fund is also a force of nature, <laughs> uh, and they want to do good. Yeah. They, they, they're really pushing to um, to be something more than just a, a conveyor belt of sending money back into the system.
1: Yeah, and that's what makes the difference, right? Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, that's why I'm here. Awesome. I wouldn't have come here even with the mountains if it <laughs> hadn't been that.
1: Awesome. Well, I think that's the, the chat. I think we covered a lot of ground. Uh, you have a lot of editing work ahead I have of you. a lot of editing work ahead of me. Uh, but I wanted to thank you for taking the time because this is after work
0: hours. Um, and we'd well, love to have
1: you on the show again.
0: Yes, after work hours in the entertainment industry does not quite have the same uh, connotation that's in the rest of the world. Fair enough. There is no off time when
1: you're producing. <laughs> exactly. Well, thanks again. And you're uh, thanks for listening, everybody. So, a couple more points before we close off. I find it funny how. 10 year old Alan's fascination with superheroes and that mysterious train tunnel led him to where he is now. It's like things came full circle and that he's now viewed as the hero for today's 10 year olds who have that same sense of wonder. It's just funny. The last thing this episode started with a soundbite from the film Goodwill Hunting. In the scene, we have the psychiatrist, Dr. Sean McGuire, who's played by Robin Williams and his self-destructive genius patient, Will Hunting, who's played by Matt Ding. And what happens is Dr. McGuire exposes Will's arrogance as a defense mechanism. Will is just hiding behind his intellect because he's scared, and he feels undeserving of the happiness that it could bring him if he actually applied it. Now, there's a lot more depth to this scene and these characters, and the film as a whole, and how I'm connecting it to what Alan and I spoke about. But I think we, we being lawyers, professionals, high achievers, we can be like Will at times. I was. We may assume we know more than other folks because of our stature, or who we've read, what we've written, what we've achieved, but are we truly experienced in all the matters we profess to be so knowledgeable about? Or have we used our intellectual gifts as a defense mechanism? at one time or another. Maybe you've had that humbling moment where you realized, I actually don't know what I'm talking about. It wasn't until Alan worked on the client side that he fully appreciated how his legal advice, the legal advice that he used to give, actually played out in the mechanics of real life, the real world. As we all move through our careers, I think it's important to recognize that we're fallible, we don't know it all, and we should be open-minded to absorbing experience and wisdom from unexpected sources. Thanks for listening, and I hope you took something away from this. We'll talk next time.
0: Interact with us, learn more about our past guests, check out the blog, video, and more, go to the law school show.